What a weekend of wrestling that we had. We had All Out from AEW and a Clash of the Cast from WWE. Both of them pretty decent shows. Let's break them down next on the Squared Circle Cycle Bible. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Shall we go reverse chronological or chronological? Which way should we go? I feel like we should do All Out first, seeing that it's the most recent since, we rec- since we're recording on Monday. So what do you think? All Out, Ralph? We could start there and work our way back, sure. Yeah, why don't we do that? We'll start with All Out. Starting with the casino ladder match here. It was Penta, it was Ray Phoenix, it was Claudio, it was Yuta, it was Andrade, and the Joker, or Dante Martin, and then the Joker. This match got, what, 10 minutes? 14 minutes and 15 seconds, according to the Wikipedia page. And there were some high spots, but in the end, Stokely Hathaway and all his recruits come out, hijack the match. Stokely Hathaway takes the chip and brings it down. Then the lights go out. We hear sympathy for the devil. A man in a devil's mask comes out, gets handed the chip, and that's the match. That's basically it. Not exactly the way I would have done this, but knowing what happened at the end of the night, it was somewhat effective. Yeah, this match was essentially built for, you know, what and would end up being MJF's return, but certainly for the Joker to come out and be the guy that would get that poker chip. Um, you know, going into this match, I don't think that anybody really felt like there was anyone in the match they could see winning other than the the Joker. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people kind of assumed it was at least going to be MJF or, you know, I th- I know Samoa Joe's name got kind of thrown around, but Adam obviously Cole. Adam Cole, yeah, obviously it ended up being MJF, and I I felt like that, whoever that Joker character was going to end up being, I felt like that guy was going to win this match. Um, You know, so that being said, obviously it played into the end of the show, what ended up being a really great moment. So um, match itself, not so great in my opinion, but for what it led to, uh, I think the ending was great. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Let's move on to the next match. The crowning of the trios championship, the elite versus hangman page and the dark orders, John silver, Alex Reynolds, obviously the story being told in this one would be how is hangman page going to react going up against the elite yet again? Is he going to side with his friends eventually? You know, what, what's the story between here? And I thought there was some good storytelling in this match. Obviously the spot where the young bucks or Matt Jackson was getting attacked by silver and Reynolds kind of looked acting heelish in this spot and hangman page coming in and backing him off. Like, dude, he's hurt. Don't do that. You know? And it's like at the same time and commentary brought this up and I thought this was great on their end. They're trying to win the match. They want to win those trios championships. They're going to attack a weakness in the bucks. And you know, there were some great spots here. I really love the hot tag sequence from John silver there were some really good near falls in this match where you really felt like the Dark Order were going to win this match. John Silver reversing the one-winged angel into a small package I really liked. But eventually what ends up happening is Hangman Page goes for the buckshot lariat while John Silver is holding uh, Kenny Omega. Misses but, uh, and hits John Silver instead. Kenny goes for the quick pin while the Young Bucks hold down uh, Hangman Page, and we have our first trios champions in Kenny and the Bucks. I mean, we all saw it coming that the the Bucks were winning this match, but I thought this still was a pretty solid match, nonetheless. 
Uh, I thought it was a decent match. I thought towards the tail end, there was definitely some good near falls. Um, Again, one of those matches where I felt like it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, There was some mystique and some mystery around what Hangman Page was going to do. And I think they kind of tied that into the match pretty well. Um, You know, and then obviously the buckshot at the end of the the end of the match there on silver to to really more or less cost the the dark order of the match there. So um, I thought it was decent. I think it's uh we'll see. I think the thing that's going to be interesting is obviously people are talking about about the media scrum and the EVPs and all that type of stuff. The EVPs mm-hmm. now are the the trios champions, the first trios champions. So are going to people kind of look at that as well? Look at that. They just went and created titles for themselves and gave it to themselves, and they're the champions. Right. And I I don't even think that's a unfair criticism, um, because there's definitely people that I think could have won this instead of them. Um, but that mm-hmm. being said, they were the champions at the end of the night. So I guess we'll find out on Dynamite what ends up happening and who's going to contend for them. Right. Well, now we do know eventually later on in the show, we find out that the Death Triangle and the best friends in Orange Cassidy are going to have a trios match on Dynamite this week. So building that trios division, I'm sure Hangman in the Dark Order or some three man combination of the Dark Order are going to run for that title, those titles as well. I'm not so worried about that division. I think there there's going to be plenty of trios teams that are going to run for that t- those titles. And I wouldn't be surprised if they run it back at full gear with Hangman Page, Silver and Reynolds against the Elite. Doesn't necessarily mean that they win the titles, but wouldn't be surprised if they run it back though. But it'd be interesting to see how the rankings look. Not that those really matter, but see how the yeah, rankings right. look this Wednesday when they release the first trios rankings but let's head to the next match here for the tbs championship jade cargill versus athena the match was only four minutes and 20 seconds which was the shortest match on the card and kind of underwhelming considering that this was one of the few matches heading on to this show where they spent a decent amount of time telling somewhat of a story and a build for this And it only gets four minutes and you could say, oh, Jade isn't a good enough wrestler to hold a long enough match or, you know, whatever the case may be. I felt like this was a match where it should have been a a 15 minute match to showcase Jade against a seasoned veteran in Athena. But instead, we have very little offense from Athena. She hits her finisher and unfortunately has to get buried because Kiara Hogan and Layla Gray missed their spot in pulling Athena from getting pinned. So they had the referee had to pull her to the two count and Jade had to kick out from it. It was like watching Sid justice or Sid vicious. No, Sid justice kick out of Hogan's leg drop because Papa Shango missed his cue at WrestleMania eight. And eventually Jade wins with jaded. Not, not a good look. And when people say Tony Khan doesn't give enough, for the women's division, you look at that and go, there's some proof right there for that, for that argument. Yeah. And especially because if you think about this, like that, again, I, I agree with exactly what, what you said there. I felt like this would have been a good test for Jade, because if there's any criticism about her, it's that, you know, she, she's still green. She can't go. She, you know, her matches are underwhelming. Um, Yes, there's a certain presence and a certain uh, character there and a certain sense of charisma with Jade. And I think everybody can see that. But the thing that I think some people are still critical of are her skills in the ring. 
I'm not as critical, but there are certainly people out there that think, you know, that about her. And, you know, I thought this would have been a good situation for Athena and her to go out there and, you know, it could have been 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever. Um, but again, when you stack a card with 15 matches and you're trying to find time for everybody and essentially just get everybody on the card, what do you do? You got to pick and choose where you're going to cut time, who's going to get this amount of time, who's getting that amount of time. And unfortunately, Jade and Athena here didn't get much time. And it again, you look at the women's division in AEW, there's only a handful of women who really could even contest for that title. She just beat one of them pretty convincingly or in a short yeah. amount of time. So where do you go from here with her? And where do you go with Athena from here? Does she go the same route as Ruby, Ruby Soho where like, oh, she got a title shot on a big show, but then gets relegated to dark and then maybe finds her way on a big pay-per-view match. Granted, it's the pre-show still loses. Like, I mean, it, it's just one of those where it's like, not, when you said not they, a good look. When, when you said they built this match up, I would even suggest that that's even a little generous. Did they focus on the match a little bit? If you consider like touching on this feud every third or fourth week on Dynamite or Rampage or wherever they decided to kind of revisit no, I felt it. Like, no, I felt like whether it was Dynamite or Rampage, there was still weekly beats in the storyline with this. Granted, part of it was because Chris Statlander got hurt. And I'm sure right. the original plan was Jade versus Chris Statlander. But with Statlander getting hurt, they pivoted to Athena because she was still related to the story anyway. But I, this was not, I mean, we're talking about it longer than the actual match itself at this point. Yeah. So you're right. That that's what goes to show you. So let's move on. Another trios match on the card here. Wardlow and FTR versus Jay lethal. And the Motor City Machine Guns. Now, this is one of those cases where it had beats and storyline bill, but two, three weeks at a time, not really everything showing up on either Dynamite or Rampage. And despite that, the match was decent. You know, Dax Harwood spent a pretty good majority of this match in the ring going after whether it was the double teams of the Motor City Machine Guns or Jay Lethal. You know, there was a lot of, you know, back and forth with them. They cut the ring a little bit. Uh, Cash Wheeler came in. They were working on his knees. By the time Wardlow got in, he had butts Jay Lethal. We get the this Powerbomb Symphony. He gets the win. Then after the match, Dax Hardwood's daughter comes out, breaks Sanjay Dutt's pencil, pins him. One, two, three. Nice feel-good moment there. Actually, like, I like the shirt, you know, fight like an eight-year-old girl re referring to Dak's daughter and Sanjay Dutt's crossing it out girl and putting brat. And I'm like, it's insensitive and, and got some heat for it. The crowd did not like it, but I'm like, he's kind of like that, you know, Jim Cornette-esque manager of the eighties where like, they're such weasels. You just want them to get beat. And even if it is against an eight-year-old girl, you kind of like to see that moment. Yeah, I, I like this. I mean, again, one of those matches we're going into it, not a ton of build. Uh, there were certainly elements that they kind of focused on here and there. And, you know, with FTR, su super over. They're both great. Wardlow looks like a million bucks. He definitely feels like uh, it feels like he's more comfortable out there. Understanding of like what the crowd wants from him. He had his moments. Motor City Machine Guns. Um, 
you know, coming over from Impact or, or TNA or whatever you want to call it. Obviously, I think they peaked uh, in TNA years ago, and I felt like they could have built this match up a little bit more. I don't know who tweeted this, but I kind of agree with it. I think these matches would have been better served if it was the Motor City Machine Guns versus FTR, and they actually took the time to kind of develop the story and build it mm -hmm. up, and Wardlow versus uh, Jay Lethal. And I, I think those would have made for better matches. Now, certainly, when you do that, it obviously adds another match to the card, which is already bloated and uh, a long pay-per-view and all that stuff. But um, that way, you could have highlighted Wardlow and, and Jay Lethal, and you could have made the FTR and, and Motor City Machine Gun feud or feel a little bit more important um either way i thought the way that they worked the match was good it wasn't like they ignored a, a ton of the rules dax harwood continues to be impressive to me he's a guy that just lays it in there every time yep. he goes out there he's one of the stiffest workers um and it looks good you, you don't feel like you're just watching choreographed spots or you know somebody can just point to that and say a non-wrestling fan's gonna say oh that's fake because it mm -hmm. certainly doesn't look or sound fake when dax is in there so I certainly like that aspect of it. But overall, I thought this was a solid match. Right. And even if they haven't been showcased as consistently as some people would like, FTR is still super over with fans. Wardlow is still super over with fans. Maybe now that we're out of All Out, we got most of the big names back or will be coming back soon. Maybe we could get FTR and Wardlow in a proper program. I mean, maybe throw them together in the trios division. And that's a way we could get FTR and the young bucks without having the tag team titles involved, but we'll see how it goes from, from here on out. But a match that had another little bit of build, but then no time on this card powerhouse Hobbs versus Ricky Starks five minutes and five seconds. I, I literally thought I dozed off and missed half the match when I realized the match was over. I'm like, wait, did I miss something? No, it was only five minutes. And yeah. Powerhouse Hobbs wins with, you know, Ricky Starks going for a spear. He reversed it to a spine buster. And that was the match. Now, granted, Taz did some, in the little time there was, did some very good commentary trying to not show favorites to either Ricky Starks or Powerhouse Hobbs. But Really? Five minutes and five seconds is all you could give these two? Look, and they always talk about the four pillars, the first version of the four pillars, the new variation of the four pillars. There's so many different names that get thrown out there. And when you kind of look at the card, you look at the way some of them were used. You know, obviously, I think some people point to Ricky Starks as one of the guys that could fit that mold. Hobbs, again, another guy that maybe you could even throw in there, but... It's hard for fans to get invested in characters when, again, they don't build the storylines week after week, very little focus, rush together, and then they get five minutes in the ring. Um, Ricky Starks is a guy that certainly shows some promise. Um, same with Hobbs, uh, but this isn't going to do a whole lot for either of them, I don't think. Uh, and again, I understand why it's on the card, but, you know, five minutes, is that... It, is it worth it to even just have it as like the main event of Dynamite on Wednesday or have it on this card and just have it be five minutes? I I don't know. Yeah. Tony Khan's this, the guy that makes that decision, and I don't think this is gonna do much for either of them. Right. I mean, there were some head scratching decisions on this show, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah. I think. Not giving this one enough time. Uh, and you know, you go to the next match here, you have 
Swerve in Our Glory versus The Acclaimed. And I think there's some people that are criticizing the booking decision with this match just simply because of how over The Acclaimed were in this match. And I think this is one of those cases where like, I don't like, I know they were over, but I don't think people were expecting them to be this over right, in this match right. to the point where people were saying and asking in the media scrum, do you think they should have called an audible and let the acclaim win? And I'm like, and I, and I think people were actually comparing this match to clash of the castle with drew McIntyre. Like they're so over. How do you not let them win? But at the same time, you know, most of the summer, they're spending their feud with the gun club. And by the time that feud ended, it's like, oh, they're in this tag team title match without much of a build. But yet the match is the second longest on the card at over 22 minutes. And I thought this was the best match of the night. It really was. I mean, I love the storytelling. I love them playing into Anthony Bowen's knee because that was a, a, a point made on Dynamite that, you know, Bowen's crumbles. His body crumbles. Caster could go on, but Bowen's can't handle the pressure or whatever. And, you know, there were a couple of times where Caster hit some high spots, but then the momentum led into Bowen's knee. And I thought that was great storytelling on that part. I love that both Keith Lee and Swerve both inadvertently hit each other. And maybe that, you know, leads tension and eventually blitz them up, which you thought was going to happen months ago during that Rampage uh, Royal Rumble or whatever it was called. Doesn't happen. So at least there's a slow build there. And there were a couple times where you thought the acclaimed were going to win this match. In fact, I thought they actually won this match where there was a a two count. And even uh, Taz was like, I thought that was three. It looked like it was three. The crowd chants bullshit because they thought it was three, two. Nonetheless, Swerve in our glory still end up with the victory and retain here. I'm not going to criticize the decision. I probably would have gone with Swerve to win this. I'm not calling it audible just because the crowd were su- like super with the acclaimed here. This is the acclaims going out party. They shined in this match. Now, if Tony Khan continues that momentum and sh- lets them shine week in and week out, let them win those titles eventually. But I think they made the right call here with swerving our glory winning here just because the acclaimed have just not gotten to that moment yet of getting those big matches, getting those big storylines. And this was really the first time and fans like surprisingly got them over much more than they really were expected to be. Yeah. And I think probably one of the most important things to point out with this match is investment. This is what can happen when you have fans invested in a wrestler or a tag team. Uh, Going back a couple months ago, I remember I said this on one of our dynamite reviews. I said, you know, I don't know what's going to end up happening with the gun club and the acclaimed. I said, but at least they're following up on it week after week after week on dynamite, which means Mm -hmm. these are people or a storyline that you should be focusing on. And this was the payoff to that. Having the acclaimed, you know, be on dynamite or at least an intricate part of dynamite a majority of the time they were on every single week, but it wasn't like we saw them one week and we didn't see them two months later. And all of a sudden we're supposed to buy into, you know, them challenging for the titles. The fans were behind them. And I think that's a direct reflection of them being on TV uh, repetitively. 
them getting over with Daddy Ass or Billy Gunn, who is, you know, suddenly finding this resurgence in popularity, which honestly, I didn't even expect that from the crowd last night to Mm -hmm. chant Daddy Ass and all that stuff. There was one point where they were chanting, uh, uh, F him up, Billy, F him up. Mm -hmm. And he was face to face with Keith Lee. So, you know, that was surprising to me. I, I don't blame Tony Khan for not putting them over because I honestly didn't expect them to be that over. Um, but I think they can build off this and whether they get another tag title shot at full gear or whether, you know, they decide to run it back at, um, on dynamite or something. I, I think it was a tale of two stories. You had the acclaimed who was super over and you have uh swerve in our glory who essentially just, in my opinion, kind of limped into this title match just for the sake of having the tag team titles defended. Cause they haven't really done a whole lot together. If anything, they've teased more of them, uh, breaking up or tension between the both of them since they're they first started interacting with each other so um yeah i i'm excited to see what happens with the acclaimed i've always liked them i think max caster is going to have a big singles run eventually in the future um but i'm excited to see where they go with them yeah I, i'm excited to see it too i mean you got grand slam coming up in a few weeks full gear is going to happen you know in november and prudential center I wouldn't be surprised if the Acclaim make it to one of those shows for a tag team championship match. I don't know, I don't know if it's necessarily a rematch, but wouldn't be surprised if by full gear, they get another tag team championship match. Keep them ranked. Keep them winning tag team matches. Some on Dark, some on Rampage, some on Dynamite. Just keep them winning matches and keep them ranked. Until FTR take the titles because they freaking need them at this point. 21 going on 22 weeks of number one ranked and still haven't had that tag team championship match. Come on now. But next up, we have the fatal four way for the interim women's championship. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Jamie Hayter, Tony storm, Hikaru Shida. I mean, this was a decent match and Tony storm wins, but the crowd were behind Jamie Hayter. And I think there were, the fans were behind Jamie Hayter, even leading into this pay-per-view, but they were also pushing Tony Storm pretty hard. And if you had to name anybody who's come from WWE to AEW and probably raised their stock since leaving WWE, Tony Storm's a great example of that because they've showcased her every week. She wins big matches. She didn't win at Forbidden Door, but she wins this match here. They built the tension with Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter in this match where Jamie Hayter looked like she was going to win, but Britt Baker pulled the ref out. I mean, this is one of those where should they have gone with Hater instead of Tony Storm? And when Tony Storm wins, she's crying in the middle of the ring because, you know, it's a big victory for her. But the crowd was kind of mad for it. They were like, eh, some fans were happy, but not the big pop you'd expect for an emotional win like that for Jane, uh, for Tony Storm. And if anything, I think I relate this to when we went to WrestleMania, we saw it was, what was the main event? I think it was Ronda, Charlotte, and Becky. Ronda, Charlotte, and Becky. And you wanted to root for, for uh, Becky. Um, and in the back of your mind, it was really hard to even stay invested in the match because the pay-per-view was so long. And this is a big reason why WrestleMania is now two nights because five, six hours is a lot to ask the fans to get hot for everything. Um, I know we're going to talk about Clash for the Castle, and I felt like that was perfect. You know, five, six matches, all important, all got enough time. Fans were going nuts. 
And I felt like, unfortunately, in this match, the fans were just kind of beat. Um, they went through a lot. It's been a long night already. They reacted a little bit, but I certainly don't think they were as invested as they could have been or didn't come across that way on TV. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I definitely felt like this this pay-per-view could have, you know, better served two, three, four, I, maybe more than that, less matches. Because um, the, the crowd was essentially kind of burnt out from this match, I felt, until... They popped a little bit for Sting and they didn't really get back into it until Punk came out. And even then, you know, Punk got a reaction, but it wasn't what I expected Punk to get in Chicago. At least it yeah. didn't come across that way on TV. So good for Tony Storm. I think it was more a matter of the the crowd just being exhausted at that point. I mean, I guess it, it's kind of a tough position because of how invested they were in the previous match. Any match that went after this. Yeah it was going to be hard to follow and be invested in it. I mean, it is what it is, unfortunately, but I I think Tony storm, you know, is going to be a big focal point in the women's division. I think she should be a big focal point in the women's division. And I think her winning this title is great. Let Brit and Jamie hater have their separate feud without the title and build Jamie hater up down the line. I know people wanted her to win this match, but I actually, again, think they made the right move with Tony Storm here and not go with Jamie Hayter at this point because Jamie Hayter really, even when she's on TV, hasn't really won a lot of matches. She's usually the one that takes the pin when there's a tag team match involving her and Britt Baker. So can you really, it would have been a shock if she won despite the fans being behind her. But speaking of shocks, the next match Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy, which went as long as you saying the next match is Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. So Jungle Boy comes out, introduced as Jungle Boy Jack Perry. He turns back to the tunnel, but Luchasaurus comes behind him, attacks him, choke slams him onto the grates where the pyro comes through, and you could see. His back is all covered in marks from the grates, whether those are burns or just like bruising or whatever, still marks there, puts him through a table, throws him in the ring. Aubrey Edwards tries to call off the match, but Jungle Boy says, no, I could do it. Gets speared, gets kill switched. That's the match. What a waste of a three-month build. What a waste of trying to build up Jungle Boy and like, this is his big moment. This is his coming out party. He's finally going to be taken seriously. He's finally going to be one of the four pillars that we've been hoping for. And he gets beat in 20 freaking seconds. Now, Christian Cage did have his elbow wrapped up. So if that's the reason why they didn't have this match go longer than 20 seconds, I understand it. But probably would have helped this storyline was just cancel the match and just build it even longer and play to the fact that Christian Cage is scared of Jungle Boy and make that moment even stronger and build it for, say, Grand Slam. Yeah, that... You couldn't do that? I guess they certainly could have done that. Um, And then you're asking them to cut, again, cut a match that... I mean, at that point, 20 seconds There's 15 matches and they went 20 seconds. I know. Cut the damn I will match say out. this. I will say this. There was one of us that did call exactly what was going to happen, and that was I said Luchasaurus was going to turn on him. I did feel yes, I did, did think that was going to happen. 
Uh, 20 seconds, I didn't envision that. Is Christian Cage hurt? I don't know. Um, if he's hurt and he couldn't go, and that's the reason they did what they did, then I guess you're in a tough spot. You have to make a tough decision. And that's what they decided to go with. Um, can they redeem themselves? Absolutely. Do I think there's a way out of it? Of course. Do I think that Jungle Boy is eventually going to get his revenge? Yes. And I'll tell you this much. Even though that match was 20 seconds, Christian Cage, man, just... The little things he does, whether that's because he's been doing this for so long or he's just a guy that gets it in that 20 seconds, he was be he was able to just do certain things that just drew heat and made you want to see him get his ass kicked even more. Blowing a kiss right before he did the, the kill switch, getting slapped by, I believe that was who Jungle Boy's mom in the crowd. Jungle Boy's mom. Yep. Um, the the stoic yet like just look on his face when luchasaurus turned and they they zoomed in on christian's face and it's just like all business <laughs> it was great you know and for 20 seconds or even the whole thing combined maybe two two and a half minutes you know christian made the best of it they'll be able to work themselves out of it I, it was disappointing yes but if christian's hurt and he can't wrestle then what are you gonna do cancel the match cancel the match Bring, bring someone else out. You can to continue the story. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think they made a bad move with that, but nonetheless, let's move on. Chris Jericho, the Lionheart versus the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Okay. So basically, we've been going on for what? For since February, maybe even March? With Blackpool Combat Club and Eddie Kingston and Ortiz and Santana and the Jericho Appreciation Society and sports entertainment, pro, pro wrestler, blah, blah, blah. The sports entertainer came out to just his music and a little bit of pyro. Meanwhile, the pro wrestler has his friends singing his theme song. And I'm at the sorry? end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, you didn't get sports entertainment for it. Sports entertainer versus pro wrestler. You got pro wrestler versus pro wrestler. Yeah. Which is like, which is the great thing about it. It was a good pro wrestling match. It was physical. It was technical. It told a story. And I thought Daniel Garcia was going to get involved in this match, but he stayed in the back watching from afar. And despite that, Chris Jericho wins because he, you know, blocks Aubrey Edwards. He does a low blow. And then pins, you know, with the, after the juice effects, pins Brian Danielson. And that's the match. I mean, it was a good match, to say the least. And I called it Chris Jericho was going to win this match because Brian Danielson went over on Wednesday. And now it furthers the story between Jericho and Garcia because Jericho Appreciation Society comes out to celebrate, but Garcia doesn't. He's disappointed because he had to cheat to win. And now Garcia has a rematch with Wheeler Yuta for the pure championship this coming Wednesday in Buffalo in his hometown. And if Garcia wins, Chris Jericho's not coming out because Garcia chose not to. I thought that was a great backstage story afterwards. I thought this was a good match. Probably one of the better matches of the night. Easily top three match of the night. And it actually progressed the storyline. So I'm all for it. Just. Enough with the sports entertainer, pro wrestler stuff. Even WWE doesn't even acknowledge the difference anymore. 
Enough already. Pro wrestling is a form of sports entertainment. Can we just all agree to that and move on? I don't. I really don't understand why it matters to people so much. <laughs> you know, because there was a whole lot of wrestling over the course of this weekend. NXT, uh, Clash at the Castle, All Out, and it was all entertaining. Yeah, if you couldn't watch, if you're an AEW fan and you couldn't watch any matches on Clash of the Castle and enjoy them and say, yeah, that's good pro wrestling, you're lying to yourself and the same could be said for a WWE fan that's going to watch All Out and not find at least one match that you couldn't enjoy. You don't have to mm-hmm. enjoy all of it, but there, it's it's kind of, it's all the same. It's just deci- that each company just decides how far left or right they want to go with it. Mm-hmm. And in this case... No, I- you had classic Jericho and Brian Danielson put on a good wrestling match. I I wish Brian Danielson wouldn't lose a string of matches within a short amount of time because I feel like he should certainly be one of those guys at the top of the food chain. And there's nothing wrong with losing to Chris Jericho, but at the same time, I feel like Brian Danielson should be up there with the Moxleys and the Punks and I, you know, losing to Daniel Garcia coming back, winning that match, and then losing again to Jericho, even though he cheated. Eh. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't make Danielson look good, considering I'm pretty sure he hasn't won on a pay-per-view yet this year. No, no, he beat Moxley, right? Did he beat Moxley at Revolution? I feel like, now I have to second-guess myself, because I said Jericho beat Kingston, and everyone beated me up on the comment section saying I was wrong, looked it up and said, you know what? I'm wrong. I thought Jericho won that match, but Kingston won. Now I can't remember. Did, did Moxley beat Danielson at Revolution? Or did, did, did Danielson win? Because that was one where they did that weird submission pin spot, right? I'd have to look it up. I can't remember now. Someone could tell me in the comment section. Let's... Let's just move on to the next match. Our last trios match of the evening, Darby Allen, Sting, and Mero against the House of Black. You know, for the most part, you had Mero dominating. He did not want to tag Darby Allen in. Eventually, Darby Allen has to tag himself in. He's on the defense most of the time. Uh, I think there's a spot where Buddy Matthews attacks, um, was it Mero with Sting's bat? So he gets taken out of the match. But the finish is Sting spits mist into uh, Malachi Black's face, which wasn't that much mist. At first, I just looked, it looked like he was blowing a kiss to Malachi Black because it, like, it just did not look like any mist came out of Sting's mouth. But nonetheless, that helps the victory as uh, um, Darby Allen gets the last supper in for the pin. What wasn't shown on TV because... Uh, this was when they did the Jericho Garcia interaction backstage. Malachi Black and the House of Black hug each other. And Malachi Black does a curtain call, essentially. And what could be alluded is that he's saying goodbye to the fans. Now, the, the report was he asked for his release, which was originally reported by Raj Gary, confirmed by Fightful and PW Insider. They asked for his release, and part of it was due to mental health issues. Um, he's just not in a good place right now. He needed to get some personal issues assessed and figured out. And from what the report was saying, I believe Raj Gary pointed this out, that his booking in AEW did not help matters. Now, 
PW Insider and Fightful did not confirm that part of the story, I don't think. But this is very interesting. Did we just see the last of Malachi Black, not only in AEW, but professional wrestling as a whole? I mean, I, I would imagine for the foreseeable future. Um, I feel bad for him because, again, he's one of those guys. If it did have anything to do with booking, then, you know, obviously he's a, one of those guys that got brought in. Again, he feuded with Cody. He was on the card all the time. It was like they were going to have a storyline that was going to be pretty prominent. People were looking forward to it, I think, into it. And then um, Cody left, went on a hiatus or whatever when the contract negotiations fell apart. Mal- Malachi Black kind of got put on the back burner. It's been on and off again ever since. So, you know, that's easy for a guy, I would imagine, to get frustrated when you came over from WWE where you weren't getting used the way you wanted to get used. You got released. You felt like you were going into a position where, look, there's a lot of indie guys here. I think I could make a run at this. I could be one of the top guys. And I agree. I feel like he was loved him in NXT. I feel like he's a unique guy. I feel like he's got a lot of uh, charisma behind just the persona in him. And they haven't really done a whole lot with him. Yeah, he's got a faction, but you know, are they really using them to the full potential? I don't know. I don't think so. So if that kind of led to this, that's unfortunate. Um, you just hope that if it if it has more to do with personal stuff that's going on, let him go away, let him get whatever help he needs, and then hopefully he comes back. I you know, I, I like I said, I liked him a lot in NXT, and I hope either if he winds up getting his release and going back, or if he stays with AEW, I just want to see him at the top of the card somewhere. Right. No, I agree. If it if it's clearly personal issues, let him figure it out. If it means he doesn't come back to wrestling again, it's unfortunate, but personal health, mental health is top priority than the way you're booked on a pro wrestling show for fans. You know, it is what it is, you know, whether it could be family issues, it could be personal issues, whatever the case may be. I'm not going to speculate and see what, say what the issues are. Just his personal happiness is his top priority. That's it. And if it means he's got to leave wrestling, he's got to leave wrestling. Just like someone that left wrestling for seven years and now is back. And that's CM Punk. And he's in the main event. You're wearing his shirt. Is that, that's the AEW shirt, right? That you're wearing? Yeah. Yep. Looks nice. But uh, he's up against John Moxley two weeks after getting squashed by Moxley to unify the AEW World Championship. Now, the story going into this obviously is a redemption. Can he bounce back from that match? Does his foot hold up and can he win the AEW championship back knowing that he has the crowd behind him? It was very interesting because at first it was all punk. The crowd was all behind punk and, you know, for the love of Chicago, for the love of CM Punk, they were booing Moxley. But then I'm not exactly sure why it happened what point in the match it happened, but you just start to feel at least a split and maybe even more pro Moxley as the match went on to a point where it was like, let's go Moxley CM Punk in even levels of audio. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, there was a guy, I don't know if you saw this in the front row, a guy in like a green shirt that flipped off CM Punk. Did you see that? I did not see that. No. Yeah. There was a guy in the front row with a green shirt flipping off CM Punk. And, you know, 
Moxley did a great job, you know, working the foot of CM Punk, going after his leg, going after his knee. And the finish was great. He hits the, uh, Punk hits the go to sleep. Then Moxley bounces off the ropes, lands on CM Punk, and he's able to get up and hit him a second time for the uh, go to sleep. And we have a new AEW world champion and CM Punk in front of his hometown. But that's not how this show ends. The lights go out and I'm like, oh man, what are they going to do now? Everyone comes out with the lights out. Who's going to just show up? Lights go out. And then you just see like that TV static. And then you hear a voicemail from Tony Khan. And he's just, it's just him giving MJF his final offer to come back to AEW, show up at All Out. You'll be in the casino ladder match. You don't have to sign an extension, but I'll raise your pay too. And they censor the amount of money he's getting. And then they cut to a old promo of CM Punk's from Ring of Honor, where he says, the best thing the devil ever did was it make people think he didn't exist. Then they cut to MJF, who was the Joker, dressed up in that you know devil mask from the, the ladder match earlier in the night, reveals himself. He is the devil. He comes out, he puts on his scarf, the crowd pops for MJF. In CM Punk's hometown, he, they pop for MJF. And of course, MJF being the heel that he is, flips them off and tells CM Punk the belt is his. He's going to win that AEW World Championship. First off, what do you think of this You know, way they closed out the show? I thought it was great, but the question is, when do they have this match? Uh, I guess what, if you want to stretch it to full gear, that's a long time. I mean, September, well, no, a couple months. They could, they already did it. Two and they a half months. Again. They could Two do and it and again. And I think that the stakes would be much higher now because we know that punks, well, I'm sorry, that, that MJF is certainly aligned with, I would imagine a new faction, you know, unless he just paid those guys off to, to help him win the match, which honestly, I really hope that's the case because as a side note, you know, Stokely is a guy that's great on the mic and you don't want to see Look, it's very obvious what's going to happen. If MJF is the guy in that group, all the folk, all the focus is going to be on MJF, not those guys. Those mm-hmm. guys essentially joined Stokely knowing that they haven't gotten a fair shake. They haven't gotten a fair shot. They want more TV time, whatever the case may be. They joined him to be the guy that put him in the position to get them that notoriety and get that attention. If MJF's in that group and in that faction, they're still not getting attention. Ethan Page is not going to be on TV anymore. Uh, he might be on, on TV a little bit more, but he'll be in the background. He will be second fiddle to MJF, and rightfully so, because MJF is the focal point in all of this. So that's my own personal take on that, if MJF truly is in that faction. Um, I love the way they closed this out. I liked how they tied in the voicemail. I liked how they tied in... Uh, the callback to CM Punk, which I would imagine was in Ring of Honor and that whole thing. Yeah, it was. And I like the way that they're going to progress the storyline. And when people talk about long-term, long-term booking or long-term storytelling, I thought this was a good example of it. Whereas sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, this this is long-term storytelling with AEW. And I'm like, no, not really. They just haven't focused on it every single week. It's just like one week and then four weeks later, they decide to revisit it. This is this is a good example of how sometimes a guy going away 
uh, could be appreciated because MJF got a huge pop, even in Chicago. Um, and I think that him and Punk, which is, in my opinion, probably the best feud in AEW since it started, a good way for them to kind of progress this going forward. And who knows, maybe take it to that next level that a lot of people are hoping AEW can eventually get to um, because they are, these are two of their top guys. Yeah, now the fact that MJF is back, Punk is back on top, Moxley's not going anywhere. I, I think AEW should get back on a stride here. And hopefully that means, you know, ratings can, you know, go back up. I know the last couple of weeks they were a million with MJF back. You would think the ratings go up even higher. And I, I, I think we're going to be set up for a very good fall for AEW. And they, they really need it because this summer where they could have had a lot of momentum granted, the new era of Triple H and, you know, no more Vince might have taken some wind out of their sails. They needed something to reset AEW. I think this is a good start to reset AEW. Now, the show itself, it had its moments. But I think there were a lot of questionable booking decisions as we went over. And I think it just goes to show you that. Having 15 matches on a card just to have 15 matches on the card is not always the best idea. It's quality over quantity. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I felt like the show had its moments. I felt like it, it ended on a good note, which is a good thing, because I think when you end the show on a good note, it's kind of easier to forget some of the stuff that maybe happened earlier in the show and you because that's the last thing you remember. Um, and I felt like that ending moment with MJF and Punk carried over and, you know, people are you know, obviously talking about that and the media scrum more so than maybe some of the lackluster things that have gone on throughout the show. But overall, I thought it was OK. Um, but yeah, definitely very long on a weekend that had a ton of wrestling um, and it had me feeling like, OK, let me just kind of get through this more so than like I can't wait for this midway through right. pay-per-view. Right. Now, talk about the media scrum really quick. A lot of people bringing up the clip from CM Punk where he's talking about his his no longer friendship of Cole Cabana and the drama that was brought up reportedly because of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And he really buries the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, calling them, you know, lack of a better term, very bad EVPs to the fact that they can't even run up. They couldn't even manage a target. With Tony Khan next to him. Tony Khan nodding Khan, his head. <laughs> yeah, Tony Khan nodding his head in agreement. And he's like, and Tony Khan trying to take the heat off of CM Punk, like, you know what? I should have commented on that and I didn't. And Tony and Punk is like, no, you don't need to explain why you didn't. Like, it was such a weird situation. Part of me thinks, you know, it's CM Punk. He isn't afraid to shoot and bra bring backstage politics in front of the, the public eye. Part of me thinks this is a work shoot similar to the pipe bomb. Part of me thinks that this is all a work. I don't know what to make of this. I honestly don't. But if this was a complete shoot and CM Punk just went off and said what he said, one, if it's true, what like hangman went into business for himself 
and then he lowered himself, whatever the case may be. Yeah. I just think like punk is just bringing in toxicity for no reason. I feel like, but if it's a work shoot, it's getting everybody talking. And this is like, damn, I want to see where this goes. I I'm, I'm conflicted on this. Honestly, I don't know what to make of it. If it's, if it's legit, you know, a side of me definitely feels for CM Punk because as a man, he kind of definitely has every right to defend himself. It's up to that individual to decide if you want to do it in a public forum. But when you put a live microphone in front of a guy like CM Punk and you're going to ask him questions at a media scrum and he decides to answer it, I guess he's going to answer it as legitimate right. as he possibly can. Now, right. I agree with you to your point. Um, Punk could have very easily have said, look, uh, me and Hangman, we're not exactly friends, but the conversations that we're going to have will happen behind closed doors. And I think that would have been a good place to leave it at, especially at a point right now where, you know, as you pointed out, WWE, there's obviously some so some level of competition there. There's obviously been a lot made of CM Punk and all these backstage backdoor politics and what's going on backstage and guys asking for releases. And it seems like WWE is getting, um, a lot of respect and a lot of attention for good things. And it seems like over the course of the past month, a lot of weird things have happened for AEW where people are kind of like, look, what's going on over there? Like what's Tony Khan doing? And if, if this pay-per-view was going to end on a note that was going to kind of write that ship, it was exactly what we saw last night. And I feel like punk kind of put that attention back on some of the backstage issues. Do they exist? Exist? I'm sure they do to a certain extent. Uh, have they always existed in wrestling? Yes. Anywhere. WCW, WWE, uh, ECW, Taz and RVD, um, endless. Th these are guys with massive egos, massive personalities. Otherwise they wouldn't be in pro wrestling or the wrestling industry. If you didn't have that type of personality and, and just, you know, that approach to it. And when you only have a couple of top spots and when you have guys that are EVPs that maybe have, a different vision of pro, pro wrestling is supposed to be. And that conflicts with the top guy in CM Punk who thinks, look, I'm the cash cow here. They could say whatever they want. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some, some egos that get hurt and checked, but you know, it definitely is on Tony Khan to check that stuff. Um, you know, it's funny because later on in the night, Jericho was talking about how you can't go into business for yourself. And I'm kind of like sitting there thinking, well, didn't CM Punk kind of just do that. So if While calling out Hangman for yeah, doing the same thing. Yeah. So if if it's legit, was it the best thing for Punk to call him out? I don't think so. If it's a work, is it worth it? Because I certainly see fans that are conflicted on this. Does it bring attention? Yes. Does it get fans invested? Maybe to a certain extent. Are there fans that are like, what is this? Like, what? Why are we paying attention to this? Um. I guess we'll have to see what happens with it and see if it actually plays into a storyline. If it's legit, it kind of sucks that it kind of happened and unfolded this way. No, I, I totally agree. I know this. And if I'm Tony Khan, this is the biggest thing that I'm probably, I've certainly faced at this point. Like if you're meant, because mm -hmm. the rumors are EVPs were threatening to leave. Punk got in an altercation with somebody. Is that legit? I don't know. That's what's being reported. If you're Tony Khan and you literally have to make a decision between Punk, Omega and the Bucks or Hangman, I mean... What do you do? What I, I'm, 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 he's a businessman. Punk. And <laughs> right now punk is the guy that brought him a million dollar house at double or nothing. 
and brought him another million-dollar house at Forbidden Door, even though he was hurt for the show. People thought they were going to see CM Punk, and this is yet another million-dollar gate that he was in the main event for. So, I mean, this isn't all friends wrestling. This is not all friends wrestling. Sorry. You know what? Rebranded back to Ring of Honor. Let the elite go. Let them control their own narrative or whatever. And go from there. If I if I'm Tony Khan and I have to make that tough decision, go with Punk. Money talks. Well, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I feel like if he's got to make that decision, he's looking at it from the sense of I I got Mox, I got Danielson, I got Cole, I got Punk, I got MJF, I got Wardlow, I got FTR, I have my future. I appreciate everything. And you know, people said, Oh, it, it would never happen, it won't happen. Happen with Cody. Who's to say it can't happen with those guys? And that's again, if this is legit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to wonder, like, it seems like ever since Cody left, these dominoes have been falling. Was Cody kind of the buffer between the elite and Tony Khan and everybody else? And now that he's gone, that buffer is gone, and like I, everything's just kind of gone to shit. The one thing that Jericho said that stood out to me was when he was talking about going into business for yourself. He said, you know, I was in WWE or whatever in the business for 20, whatever, how many years. It never happened under Vince because he wouldn't allow it. it, It's not expected. Like, that's the standard. And not to say that, you know, Tony Khan is somebody that's going to get walked all over and stuff like that. But, you know, as much as people hated Vince or, you know, the fan base wants to talk poorly of Vince, it's kind of like, well, you're not getting away with that shit in my company. And, Mm -hmm. you know... Tony may have to make a tough decision where he's got to draw a line in the sand and say, look, this is a business. I'm sorry. This is my decision. We're going with punk. And if you guys don't like that, then best of luck. I mean, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that point uh, because I think that would certainly divide the fan base, but I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. I definitely would not want to be Tony Khan today. No, no, it's tough. And like he even said it himself, like, He's not going to stand for that shit. You know, as punk people does gonna, it next to him. <laughs> right. And he not in agreement. Like it, it's just a weird situation. You know, it'd be interesting to see what people think in the comment section or tweeting us at SCPB podcast, what you guys think of that whole situation, but let's go to class clash of the castle. Completely different story here. We don't have 15 matches over four hours or five hours. We have six matches in the course of three and a half hours. Yeah. Starts with six women tag action. Bailey, Eosky, and Dakota Kai against Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. And you knew the crowd was going to be into it all night and have a ball with this. Granted, it's their first pay-per-view show in a stadium in 30 years. So they're nuts already, the UK crowd. And... Bailey gets her old like sing along chant back. Oh, Bailey, I want to know if you'll be my girl. And she's like trying to take it in, but at the same time, trying to be a heel, trying to do heelish things, telling them to stop singing, trying to get any heat back on the fans. Even when she gets tagged in, the crowd pops for it. She tags herself back out. I thought that was great work by Bailey. Absolutely great. We got a little taste of what it would look like with EO Sky and Asuka in this match. It seems like that could be a match in the future. Even 
Michael Cole bringing up the faction that they were in together in Japan and people getting excited about that. Oh my God, they're bringing, they're talking about other promotions. Wrestling is wrestling again. Yay! Everyone rejoice. They brought up their Japanese faction. Yay! All right, cool and all, but let's not get like overexcited here. But it's a nice little nugget to tell in the story. And the thing I'm surprised about here is Bailey pinning Bianca Belair with the help of Dakota Kai hitting her kick and then Eos Guy hitting her moonsault and, uh, and um, Bianca hitting the rose plant. Or excuse me, Bailey hitting the rose plant. So obviously Bianca gets heavily protected here, but Bailey pins the champion and that means she's going to get a title shot eventually down the line. Good match to open up the show. Great crowd to start off the show. I actually like the finish here. No problem with Bianca getting pinned here. And if anybody says that makes her look weak, only you're looking at it because Bianca lost, not how she lost or anything else storyline driven. It's fine. And it works. This is one of those situations where it actually works to have the champion pinned. Plus they needed it. They needed this win. They needed a win in that fashion and they needed probably Mm -hmm. Bailey to be the one to get the pin because her faction went out there and lost in the finals of the women's tag team match. This now shifts things back in their favor um, where they look a little more dominant. They look like they have a leader that can go out there and beat a a top star, the champion. And I'll kind of touch on that a little bit later with another match. Not so much the case, but I have no problem with this. I thought this ended the way that I, I was thinking it would end. Um, and yeah, I think they come out of this looking good. Yep. Totally agree. And I'm excited to see Bailey versus Bianca one-on-one a match that we should have had when, you know, the fans were just coming back, but then Bailey got hurt. So we're revisiting that too. Excited to see it. But this next match for the intercontinental championship, Gunther versus Sheamus. I'm saying it right now on September 5th, 2022. We still have three months to go, but I have picked my match of the year. You guys could take your FTRs and your Briscoes. You could take whatever Will Ospreay has to offer. You could give me whatever Moxley match or Brian Danielson match. The match of the year happens Saturday for the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther versus Sheamus. 20 minutes plus. Of them just beating the hell out of each other. Pound for pound, blow for blow, strike for strike. They tore the house down and people were expecting this, but I felt like there was even more. They gave us everything and more. There was like the crowd was so invested in this. And not only just invested in the match, they were invested in Seamus. And granted, he's a UK guy being from Ireland. So I understand that, but like, I don't think I've ever seen a crowd behind Sheamus ever in the, what, 12 plus years he's been with WWE than he was in that match and actually made me believe, oh my God, they might actually pull the trigger and have Sheamus beat Gunther. And not only that, let's not forget Imperium is whole again. Giovanni Vinci has rejoined Imperium. And it looks like we'll see, you know, a deviant of this storyline where we'll see Butch 
and Rich Holland go up against Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser to build the tag team division. I'm all for it. They should have never taken Fabian Eichner slash Giovanni Vinci out of the match, out of Imperium to begin with. And now they're bringing them back again. I was excited for that. This match was amazing. My match of the year. I don't think there's going to be another match in the next three months that tops it. This was just an awesome, awesome match. And even to the point where Dave Meltzer, the guy that hates anything WWE, refuses to give them five stars and anything on the main roster, said that this was probably one of the best matches on the main roster ever. Come on. How can you hate this match? How can you not say it's a match of the year? At least contender. You might not agree with me saying it's the match of the year, but at least a contender. No, I... I, I thought this match was great. Um, I kind of expected this coming in because I've I've been a big Walter fan. I know you're a big uh I mean, there I'm saying Walter. When he was Walter, uh you were a big and the fan. The crowd chanted um, Walter too, and Michael Cole pointed that out. They did. And you know, I kinda I definitely expected this uh from both of them because that's just the style they work. Um I don't know if I expected it to the extent that we got it. Um I like the fact that Gunther He's just a no-nonsense, straightforward guy. Like, you're not going to see a ton of flashy stuff, but he makes it count. Like, you'll see some power bombs. You're going to see a whole lot of chops. You're going to see a whole lot of brutality. You'll see some suplexes. Like, he works the gimmick that he's, you know, you'd envision a guy like him is is supposed to be working. Yes. Um, it comes down to what do you think a good pro wrestling match should be. I've always said, in my opinion, pro wrestling is a simulated fight. You know it's choreographed, you know the outcome is predetermined, but your job as the pro wrestler is to get people lost in that moment. You don't want these overly choreographed spots or, you know, have it to be where like it's just like you're doing move after move after move to get to the next sequence, like to have these things go through what I call sequences. In my opinion, if you can convince people that this is real, as real as you're going to see on like a on a UFC card or get people lost in it like that, then you've done your job and they more than went out there and brutalized each other to the point where it was like, um, I, I literally thought they were going to start really fighting in the middle of that ring. Um, yep. and that's what you get on a good night for Gunther. Um, I, I thought this match was great. I would probably agree. I do think this is the match of the year, certainly the match of the weekend, uh, better than anything else I saw on NXT or all out or even this card. Um, and yeah, I, would imagine there'll be a rematch at some point. Maybe Sheamus wins Mania. that title. Make it, make it a Mania match. Don't let them face each other until Mania. That, I'd be for that. That is a, that is a WrestleMania match. And Definitely. you know, going back to, <laughs> look, again, Triple H taking over, trying to bring prestige back. And this started even with Vince, and I think there were rumors that Vince was losing faith in Gunther. Doesn't seem to be the case with Triple H here. Had a creative. He's certainly elevated that title back up to an important status. Mm-hmm. So and I, that's and I think this definitely for those that and I was a little worried because the crowds were not really getting into Gunther. You know, he was starting to get what chance he was trying to get like no reactions in his match. He had his match with Nakamura that helped, but this match I think put him on the map on the main roster. He's definitely there now. He's a mainstay on SmackDown. Week in, week out, I think bringing Vinci 
into Imperium again just adds to, you know, it, it just looked unbalanced when it's just Kaiser behind him and they're doing the pose. And I'm like, there's supposed to be a third man yeah. there. Now, some people might say it's not really whole until Timothy Thatcher comes back and then he joins Imperium, but the Imperium I know is those three. And if you want to bring Alexander Wolf back, maybe bring him back too, but those three are fine for me. But I absolutely loved it. Great match. I'm looking forward to Gunther surpassing Honky Talk Man as the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, which after uh, we did our prediction show, I researched it. 454 days as Intercontinental Champion. Next up, Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler for the Women's SmackDown Women's Championship. Any match that was going to follow this up was going to struggle. It was a decent match. I thought them working each other's arms was great for the story. I'm surprised Liv Morgan ended up winning this match, though. Absolutely surprised. I thought, especially with Triple H in charge, this was going to be Shayna finally getting the push, finally getting a singles title on the main roster. But no, not only does Liv win, she won clean. She hits Oblivion and pins her one, two, three. Absolutely shocking. The shock of the weekend, in my opinion, that Liv Morgan came out clean victory over Shayna Baszler. I was actually surprised by this match because it was much better than I thought it was going to be. And surprisingly, yes, Liv Morgan more than held her own. And I'm not going to say she's a bad wrestler, but, you know, I... I just haven't seen her go out there and like have a match like Becky's capable of like Bianca Belair, like Bailey, like the upper echelon. Yes, she's the champion. But, you know, I, I was on here what last week and I predicted I said, well, I think she's going to lose because I felt like they just put the title on her because they wanted to get some type of attention, you know, for doing something mm -hmm. that not a lot of people thought was going to happen. But they had good chemistry. There were a lot of good reversals between submissions and pins and things of that nature. And. Yes, there was. She was good. I thought this match was good, and, you know, it it delivered. Do you think Shayna's buried, though, with this loss? No, I don't think. I mean, part of the job as the head of creative, whether it's Triple H or anybody else in any company, is just building people back up. Like, I feel like she's somebody they could build back up. Yeah, but, I mean, her main roster run has not been good. Yes, she's won the Women's Tag Team Championship twice. Yeah. But we know what's happened to the Women's Tag Team Championship. Even when they had it, it wasn't a focal point. They were losing matches all the time during their title run. I mean, Shayna has not had a good main, main roster run. And you thought this was it. She was finally going to get that push and focus from Triple H, knowing that outside of Asuka, she's really like, the only like the top woman star that Triple H pushed in the black and gold era. Yeah. Yeah. You could say Raquel Rodriguez. Yeah. You could say Rhea Ripley, Eo. but it was really like Oscar, Shayna, Rhea, Raquel it was probably the top four during the black and gold era. Eo Shirai. Eo Shirai too. Yeah, that's true. And of course, Sasha and Bailey that, but like they were recent memory. Maybe I'll say, Right. Recent memory, I'll say, but I'm just, I'm kind of surprised. I thought this was Shayna's time and then they could have done Shayna versus Rhonda. 
but maybe they're revisiting Liv versus Ronda. Okay. Who knows? But next up, Ray and Edge versus Judgment Day. Tag team match was good, but everyone's talking about the heel turn afterwards. Dominic Mysterio kicks Edge right between the legs so hard his shoe falls off. And everyone's in so much shock that he takes the other shoe off, clotheslines his son, and he walks out. Meanwhile, the Judgment Day in the corner after they just lost the match, they're laughing like, ha ha, we got Dominic to turn on you. Oh my God, this is so funny, so embarrassing. Even though they lost, and I'm pretty sure the Judgment Day is dead at this point. And if they aren't, I don't know how you rebound from this. This is one of those questionable booking decisions for Triple H here. How do you not have Dominic turn and then have Judgment Day win? Instead, you have Ray and Edge win, Judgment Day lose, and then the turn happens. I don't think Dominic's joining the Judgment Day. I don't think that's what happened here. But you have some people thinking, at least speculating or wishful thinking, Dominic's joining Legato Del Fantasma, and we have that story progress where it's eventually Santos Escobar versus Rey Mysterio, and I would be so up for that. I would be 100% behind that. Yeah, I mean, and this is the match I was kind of alluding to uh, when I said, you know, you had a faction leader kind of lose and not look as strong, and it was obviously Finn Balor and the Judgment Day because they really haven't done anything since edge has been you know kicked out or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um you know they didn't get the win here again in a high profiled match against two guys that are super over um i and yeah people are definitely talking about the dominic mysterio turn more than anything else i don't think he joined judgment day definitely don't think that happened but no um i don't know where judgment day goes from here I don't know if there is anywhere for them to go unless he like comes out as the demon. But even then, like storyline wise, how do you make that transition? Makes no sense. Yeah. It's stupid. Like to me, the judgment day is buried. They are buried. Sorry, they are buried. And it's not a Vince thing. This is a Triple H thing. Triple H buried the judgment day here. Maybe he feels he like they need to be. Maybe he's like, look, there's nothing else these guys can do. Let's move on. Let's repackage him. Finn's going to do his yeah. own thing. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. But next up, Seth Rollins versus Riddle. Matt Riddle, I should say. He got his first name back. And <laughs> Seth Rollins comes out as if Elton John turned straight. <laughs> what the hell is he wearing? You know, he's just, it just is amazing that this guy could walk out like that as like he's going into an Elton John concert, but still have an amazing match regardless. And I thought the chemistry between him and Riddle was great. And even if they behind closed doors hate each other and that bled onto, you know, on screen television, it's like watching Brett and Sean again where you knew backstage they hate each other, but once the camera's on and they're in that ring, that hatred doesn't matter. They're going to be professional and have a great match. And we saw that here. Some great counters between the two, some great near falls between the two. And I love the fact that Seth had to win not only with one stop, 
but the second stop off the middle rope to win that match. And you know, this isn't ending. You know, it's going to escalate to an extreme rules match on the next pay-per-view in, in uh, a month from now. It, it lived up to the hype and a great reason why they took that match off of SummerSlam and let it have more build here was such a good move. And it followed through and it delivered really did. And I think Seth and I keep saying this, certainly silencing time and time again, the IWC, the small, small, small minority of people who felt like he was mid as they put it and can't perform because if anything, he's proving that he is maybe not just one of the best, but this year, maybe having the best year of any pro wrestler because time and time again, his matches have been great. And this was no exception. Riddle held his part. I think Riddle is a really talented, a guy that I think is going to do quite a lot for them. Um, but Seth is just, you know, great match after great match after great match. And this was another one for him. Really was. And I, if it does lead to extreme rules and it's an extreme rules match, ends up main event in the pay-per-view, all for it, all for it. I'm excited for it. But we head to the main event. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. Do they pull the trigger on Drew or does Roman Reigns retain and continue his now 733 day reign? This was an interesting match because you felt like either way could go and you're going into this, not really knowing for sure what is going to happen. Who's going to get involved? Is Karrion Cross going to cost Drew the match? Are the Usos going to get involved? Does Sami Zayn inadvertently cost Roman Reigns the championship? Does Austin Theory cash in? Tyson Fury's in the front row. How does he get involved? And for the most part, we're seeing a great back and forth match between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. They're going blow for blow. You think Roman Reigns finally gets it with a spear? No, a kick out. Hits another spear, another kick out. Drew McIntyre is trying to get the Claymore in, but Roman Reigns takes himself outside the ring, you know, and the crowd is just behind Drew, behind Drew, behind Drew. But we get to the finish of this match. Roman Reigns is upset with the referee and he's arguing with Charles Robinson. Drew McIntyre hits Roman with the Claymore on Roman's back and his momentum takes Charles Robinson out of the ring. We see Drew and Roman Reigns lying there on the ground. They're out. Austin Theory comes out with his own referee. He looks like he's going to cash in the money in the bank only for Tyson Fury to knock him out cold. I mean, that shot looked like stiff. Mm -hmm. Like that was him going up against a boxer on the other side of the ring, knocked out. Theory's, I think, still asleep at Principality Stadium in in Cardiff right now. But the match continues. Drew McIntyre looks like he's got the pin. The referee that Theory, you know, has in. One, two, kick out. Match continues. It continues. And just when you think Drew McIntyre is going to get the win, a man in a hoodie stops Drew McIntyre from getting that Claymore. And it's not a new sell. It's not carrying Cross who was at ringside. It was not Sami Zayn. It was the debuting Solo Sequoia from NXT, the younger brother of the Usos, 
and it cost Drew McIntyre the win. Roman Reigns, his reign continues. And I think that's a questionable call because now at this point, who takes the title off of Roman? But it doesn't end there. You think the show is over. They're going to go to the copyright, fade to black. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. No. They keep the cameras rolling, and they do what typically you see on a house show where the baby face cuts the promo, sends everybody off, goodbye, everybody. But Tyson Fury comes in, and you're just like, all right, what's he going to do to Drew? Is he going to tell him he's disappointed that he couldn't win the big one in front of the hometown fans and knock him out, and that's your closing moment? No. Instead, they sing American Pie and Drew's singing along and the crowd's singing along. And if you're a fan watching this, I even ask you, I'm like, what the hell is this? And you tell me, oh, Tyson Fury does this after every boxing match. And I'm like, really? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. What are we watching? It's so dumb. That's how you close out this pay-per-view that was so hot with a questionable booking decision. And on top of that, this awkward sing-along that could have been done for the fans with the cameras off. It's so stupid. Well, why? It's not a questionable booking decision. It's one that people are going to be divided on because... I mean, I understand the decision because it's like, do you go with the short-term pop Or do you have bigger plans ahead for Roman Reigns? Honestly, I don't know what the future plans are for Roman Reigns. And I felt like you could do more with Drew winning that title and progress to WrestleMania than you can with Roman Reigns. Because let's face it, I don't think he's going to wrestle at Survivor's, or excuse me, Extreme Rules. Who is he wrestling at Survivor Series if he's holding both titles? If there's a December pay per view, Who's wrestling that match? Who's wrestling at Royal Rumble? You figure there's another Saudi show between now and Mania, maybe even two. And then you have WrestleMania. Yeah. And you figure most people are assuming that Cody's going to win the Rumble and challenge Roman for the title. Well, here's the thing. And I know this is more probably more of a Vince thing than a Triple H thing, but... I would I would hope if they decided not to go with Drew here because there this was a great match before I even get into this and I felt like everything was going in Drew's favor. He came out, shat, uh broken dreams, the the whole thing, the entrance, the story, the the crowd, the hometown feel, feel good story moment whatever. Didn't happen. In my mind and I do have the same concerns as you. In my mind it's only Cody The only other option is they want the big payday with the rock because they think that's going to be the biggest match you could possibly make. And from a box office standpoint, they're probably right from a wrestling standpoint. Is that the right thing to do? Uh, I don't think so, but you know, I, I think they're the best thing they can do now if Roman Reigns is going to lose the title, carry the title, and lose it at WrestleMania is for him to lose it to Cody. Do the right thing. Can I say that they aren't going to do Rock and Roman? No, I can't say that. 
especially after Triple H did that interview where, you know, The Rock's name came up and he said, look, he's probably got one last match in him. He really put it put it over and there was already already rumors about this whole thing. So one of those two scenarios I could see, I do think getting to WrestleMania and having viable contenders and, cha- and people that can challenge him for the championship is going to be really difficult because he's beaten everybody. Um, oh, no, hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me back up there because I've seen that on Twitter. People saying, Oh, there's no one left. There's no one left for Roman. He still hasn't beaten Seth Rollins. Yeah, Seth Rollins won by disqualification. He's not being Bobby Lashley. He's not beating AJ Styles. They never really revisited the Shinsuke Nakamura uh, uh, storyline. Let's not forget, I know this is a reach and a stretch, but if they're going to repackage him, Happy Corbin was the last guy to pin Roman Reigns. Do they do a small little three-week build on a SmackDown title defense if JBL is going to be you know, working with Corbin now? I go for it just for like, I'm not saying he's got a main event of pay-per-view. I'm not saying, you know, they need to do like this long ass story. Give it like a three week build. That's it. You just, yeah, you just revisit Kevin Owens. Yeah. Revisit Kevin Owens because he never beat him clean. You could revisit Riddle too. You could revisit Riddle. Randy Orton's going to come back from injury. Hasn't beaten him. Yeah. That's the, that's the tough part. You just, as it stands right now, there's nobody there, but Raw's tonight. Had we been recording at ten o'clock, or I'm sorry, twelve twelve a.m. rather than one twenty three in the afternoon, we may be something saying something completely different because who knows what's going to happen? Edge could be another. I I don't know. Um, the hard part is building him up, assuming he's going to carry it to WrestleMania, which I can't see why you wouldn't have that happen now. Because if you thought if they were going to have him lose. Before Mania, this was probably the time to do it, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I it agree. didn't happen. So in my mind, it's Cody or Bust. Um, or maybe The Rock. I don't see anybody Karrion else Cross? that should do it. No, no, no. Carrying Cross doesn't have the backstory like Cody has. Plus, he's True. an ultra heel. Like Cody's the first guy to get over as a face. That came from another company, just open arms accepted, big moment, people behind him. Him getting hurt even, you know, might even play into the story a little bit better because it makes his swan song and comeback even more uh, important. You know, mm-hmm. he came back, he was, had all these opportunities, he was white hot, and he got cut short again. That's been the story of his career. So that will play right into this whole thing if he does come back at the Rumble and win. And it would give him a chance to probably finish up the storyline with with Seth if they wanted to revisit that because they certainly can. So it would be interesting to see. But nonetheless, I think the key takeaway from this is can we just give the UK a freaking WrestleMania? Yeah. <laughs> they deserve it. Listen, I tweeted this out during the Gunther Sheamus match. I said, "Dear UK fans, you are awesome. Can you please come to the United States to tell our fans how to do it and not hijack matches and with their stupid what chants and only chanting, this is awesome. This is awesome. Now, granted, there was a little bit of from all out where there were chants 
towards the actual wrestlers and investment from the wrestlers. But most of the time, it's, yay, this match is awesome. This is awesome. There was a near fall. Yay. Or, uh, I don't like this guy winning, so let me just hijack the match. No. Stop it. Us, you fan, us, U.S. fans suck. We suck. Take a note from the U.K. Start singing Bailey songs. Start chanting for Seamus. Start chanting Walter. Chant for guys. Not the damn match itself. All these matches are awesome. You're not being, like, enough already. The UK, the United States fans suck. Thank you, UK. You guys are awesome. You should get WrestleMania 41, 42, 43, and 44 after 30 years of waiting and delivering as great fans that you are. Bravo, UK fans. Well, the, That's my the, takeaway. The, the, the investment from the crowd or the crowd interaction helps elevate matches that are just yes. okay to just feeling more or even like a match that you want to feel important because... Again, going back to All Out, which we just saw, some of those matches weren't great. They were just okay, but the crowd's super invested, so makes it seem that much more important. Same could be said mm-hmm. here. So Yeah, and I think that's part, like, if that's a big reason why I think Gunther and Sheamus is the match of the year. Granted, they delivered physically-wise and all that stuff, but the crowd being so invested in it, that's what, that's yeah. what took it over the edge for me. But what do you guys think? Which show was better? All Out, Clash of the Castle. Were you excited for both shows? Did you enjoy both shows? Let us know in the comment section or tweeting us at SCPV Podcast. And you could join our membership too, where you could get some pretty cool perks, including ad-free episodes, early, you know, releases, and checking us out live while we record. 